Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. When governments need to find and obtain resources, from office supplies to building infrastructure, the process is more complex than your ordinary shopping trip. How do we know that governments are using good judgment when purchasing items or awarding contracts? Who advises governments on these processes to ensure that they are transparent, efficient, and cost-effective? That's where MAPS, the methodology for assessing of procurement systems, steps in. I'm Robin Allison Davis, and you're listening to OECD Podcasts. We'll be answering all these questions and more. This is the first episode in the series with the MAPS Network. I'm joined today by Diana Viljuan from Global Affairs Canada and member of the MAPS Technical Advisory Group. Thanks for joining me today, Diana. Well, it's an honor to be with you today. So let's jump right in. Can you explain for our listening audience what MAPS is? Well, the MAPS is uh, short for the Methodology for Assessment of Procurement Systems. MAPS is really a diagnostic tool, and it's meant to point out the strengths and weaknesses of the procurement system of any government. So if you're identifying that there's a gap in the system, you would be able to then hopefully come up with a a good recommendation on how to improve that. When you say public procurement, you just mean how governments and countries are uh, buying and obtaining their goods and their resources? Precisely. MAPS is a universal standard as well as a a globally recognized tool to assess these public procurement systems. We're celebrating the 20th year. It was founded out of the roundtable for public procurement that was started with the OECD and the World Bank. Originally had been thought to be a tool specifically for developing countries. And with with the revision process, we've expanded that to include considerations for sustainable development goals and applying it to all countries at any level of development. All governments, a great deal of their budget is spent on procuring good services and works. And it could be anything from a pencil all the way to like a bridge or something like that. So it, it spans the whole range of what a, a government might need to buy. And it uh, is especially important when it comes to certain sectors, such as the health sector or education sector. Some governments might spend up to 30% of their budgets on, on health sector, for example, and a great deal of that would be uh, procurement activities. And so you can see how it would be a, an important consideration to make sure those public procurement systems are as strong as possible. So that actually leads into my next question. Why is it so important to have something like MAPS? Well, the original idea for the for MAPS was to assess the procurement systems of national governments of developing countries with the idea that if you make improvements to the government's procurement system, which involves so much of their, of their public expenditures, that you could increase and create more fiscal space So if you create a little bit of efficiency so that goods can be procured for less money or can be done more efficiently, uh, that means that the the government spending the money, if they say they're going to build the road, the road exists, for example, or that school children are housed in appropriate buildings and have access to clean water and that kind of thing. So it's really about building trust. The essence of MAPS is it's a trust building system. If the government is willing to, to be assessed and to take the recommendations and to apply them, there's a win all around. 
So MAPS is not really just about being cost effective and helping the governments with their fiscal bottom line. I mean, there's also the question of corruption. But in a previous conversation that we had, you said you don't really like to use the word corruption when it comes to MAPS, not an anti-corruption tool. Can you explain? Well, MAPS didn't set out to be an anti-corruption tool, but there are anti-corruption considerations within any procurement system. This could be behavior that is not being uh, transparent about what its requirements are or to to favorize one uh, supplier over another. If there's collusion on the part of suppliers where they get together and decide, oh, well, you get this one, I'll get the next one kind of thing. There's multi-dimensions and usually there's some kind of anti-corruption law. And then they might have other regulations where you you are able to put in place that you make sure that that law is being followed and as as well as uh, bodies that that in, make sure that that happens so anti-corruption measures are considered within the criteria of the of the tool but uh, it in and of itself it's not an anti-corruption tool but we have an entire pillar that's dedicated to the accountability integrity and transparency features of an ideal public procurement system how does MAPS work? What is the methodology? Well, the methodology itself is based upon four pillars, and these were developed 20 years ago. So there's the legislative framework is the first pillar, and that includes all legislation and regulations um, and policies that are put in place. And that would extend to how a government is, is setting out the rules of how they would procure something, everything from what's covered by the law. Is it mandatory to have model templates so people know that there's a standardized way of purchasing. It would also relate to who's eligible to be uh, participating in a bidding uh, opportunity, that kind of thing. So that's the first pillar is really about the legislative framework. And what is the second pillar and what aspect does it cover? The second is about the institutional framework and management capacity. So it looks at those institutions that are part of the broader public procurement system and how it fits together with the rest of government. Then it looks at those procuring entities. So people that are doing the buying, do they know what they're doing? Do they have a level of professionalization? Are there opportunities to um, uh, to obtain a degree, for example? Are there training opportunities um, made available that reflect international best practices? Um, and are there opportunities for the system to improve? Um, if other, if this, if the, if there's no encouragement or no incentive for um, for somebody to become a procurement officer, for example, um, you're going to have a difficult time without any people that are are trained. And uh, so that's a very important element. So management capacity is the second element of, of that pillar. This leads into that that third pillar where we we actually do look at a sample of uh, contracts for a given country, whether it's a, a singular sector or a couple of sectors, but looking at uh, actual transactions to see how they are. Now, if you have an e-procurement system, then you can easily uh, pull out your all your documents are attached in, in an ideal scenario, whereas the old system is going through paper files and uh, and oftentimes because um, record keeping is one of the another common weak point of a procurement system is people don't keep records, they don't keep proper files, uh, they go missing, they're incomplete, that kind of thing. And that's where a lot of the malfeasance and, and um, misprocurements can can hide themselves. The fourth pillar, which is about the uh, 
accountability, integrity, and transparency. That's a section that we worked hard on, on during the revision process. So that's the fourth pillar. So those four pillars together create the system. Public procurement systems are also part of a larger public financial management system, part of another, you know, other government structures. So we also consider when we do the analysis is whether or not it's a public expenditure system strong from budget allocation all the way through to expenditure and contract management. So it's a it's a whole life cycle kind of project cycle. You mentioned the sustainable development goals. What is their connection with MAPS? Uh, the sustainable development goals are goals that are set out for all countries. And there is a specific um, sustainable development goal that relates to public procurement. It's uh, it's 12.7. It says, you know, to promote public procurement uh, practices that are sustainable in accordance with the national policy and priorities. So we took that very seriously when we, when we looked at that to make sure that philosophy was reflected in the revised tool by including a specific indicator on sustainable procurement and and carrying it through. And the other aspect of that is developing a specific standalone module that relates to sustainable procurement, public procurement. And it looks at environment, it looks at gender equality and um, can reach out into other factors as well. So uh, sustainability was on everybody's mind at the time and has only gotten more important. And when it gets to uh, talking about you know the implications for climate change, governments are spending huge amounts of money on uh, on green transitioning, for example. And by undertaking a sustainable public procurement module assessment, it could help a government guide its way towards um, being becoming more responsive to the changing times and the changing needs of the government. So that particular one, there's other sustainable development goals as well that relate to building institutions. And that was a very much a consideration when we looked at the um, integration of the public procurement systems within the broader government structure. And it relates to, you know, is it, it's part of the larger budget expenditure framework. They have the Supreme Audit Institutions, for example. So it's part of a broader um, effort to improve the governance and, of these institutions and make them stronger so that they they are able to perform uh, their intended purposes. And part of that, of course, would be having people, not just having an institution with a, a building with a name on the on the outside, but having the people inside those buildings that are, are capable of doing the work that's the, their mandate that's, that's set out. The Sustainable Development Goals was very much a, a rallying point for and an inspiration to reform and to improve and be more forward-looking when it, when it came to um, the, the methodology. MAPS is comprised of a steering committee, technical advisory group, and secretariat. You're a part of the technical advisory group. Can you explain what this group does and the work that you're doing? Certainly. The, the MAPS initiative included the original MAPS stakeholder group that contributed to revising the, the MAPS uh, methodology. And those organizations became part of the standing technical advisory group. Aside from having a standing group of people to draw on, these are organizations that are familiar with the tool and can serve in a technical capacity. And when an assessment is done by a lead organization, usually the, the lead organization will be a multilateral development bank, one or two, it could and also be a country uh, that's familiar with it. But what the, the technical advisory group does is provides a technical oversight on the quality of the reports that are prepared by the assessment team. 
So we are not directly involved in the assessment. We are organizations, there is usually at least, usually three to five organizations that are not part of the assessment will have a, a critical eye of the, of the assessment reports, as well as the concept notes when it comes to planning these assessments to make sure that, the, uh, that it's approached in, a, in a, an appropriate way to maximize success. So um, when a report is published um, by the MAP Secretariat, it's gone through this rigorous quality control process where the MAP Secretariat looks at how the assessment has been done and according if it's been done in accordance with the methodology as it's set out. And the technical advisory group would look at it from a technical perspective and make sure that the criterion are substantiated by evidence. For example, you know, based on years of experience, you would look at something and say, is that a proper a conclusion or a proper recommendation, or is there something missing? Is it cohesive? Does it does it make sense? And is it rolled up properly into a, a set of recommendations that some a government can act on? MAPS has been used in dozens of countries worldwide. Canada is one of the countries that uses MAPS assessment information. How is Canada using that information? Well, Global Affairs Canada has been uh, part of the MAPS family for a good number of years dating back to when the original maps was was developed and um, we've been uh, part of the design and the uh, establishment of those criteria so when the report is published for example we're able to refer to that report to inform ourselves about the strengths and weaknesses and the features of a, of a procurement system where we might be investing in a particular sector or in a particular uh, project, for example. Part of this um, MAP stakeholder group, we were able to participate in developing the criteria and making sure that the evidence-based uh, approach and the rules-based approach is something that we would aspire to in our own right. So if uh, it's impractical for an individual donor to go out and do an assessment with the these countries it's just not uh, it's not practical and it's not uh, it's you know it uses up a lot of the recipient government's resources to to be asked the same question repetitively from by different donors so part of the the reason maps came into being was to have this a common approach a common set of standards and this is really the gold standard for public procurement systems so Canada can rest assured that as being part of the family that developed it that the the very worries that we might have um, are being uh, have been diagnosed and are being addressed through different reform mechanisms, and we might be part of a of a donor group that that uh, helps uh, support a program to improve the public procurement systems or to support training of cadre of government officers that are involved in procurement in that developing country. We're all trying to uh, establish what the rules should be uh, based on ex um, you know many years of experience and to to then be able to look over and say, oh, what was the you know African Development Bank or or the Inter-American Development Bank or the World Bank or Asian Development Bank or, or a particular country that's undertaken an assessment and know that we're all on the same page, that we've all looked at it through the same light and through the same aspirational criteria that are that we helped establish. So it's uh, it only makes sense. I think in these times where resources are are scarce, you know, we really have to look at ways that we can pool our collective intellects and our our resources in in some measure. You know, we're all better off at the end of the day, and uh, and I think it only makes sense. Like you said, it's about trust. It's about trust, yes, and mutual trust and mutual alliance. It's about supplier trust. It's about 
people having trust in their government. So building trust and, and being transparent and, and all those all those principles that we hold dear, hope that something that countries will be encouraged to, to improve their systems using those sort of aspirational goals that we've set out. Well, I, I certainly hope so. And thank you so much for joining me today, Diana. Well, it's been my pleasure. To learn more about the MAPS Initiative, go to mapsinitiative.org. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.